The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Over the past several weeks, we've been walking through this chapter, and we've seen um, several things that this, that this uh, chapter has to say to us about the Christian conscience, and uh, as we've looked at this, um, as we finish, we're actually going to try to finish this chapter, however, it's going to be a two-parter. What I mean by this is, is I don't want to rush, and this section is kind of full, and so we're going to take two weeks to get through this final section of, of, uh, of this chapter. So up to this point, though, just as a refresher, we've talked about the Christian conscience, and uh, we talked about how we have been placed in a, a community, and that that placement in community is messy as all of our issues of conscience go together and crash into each other. We talked about um, how that can be difficult at times, but we also have talked about how beautiful that is how needed that is. Uh, we also talked about Christian entitlement and how we can often feel kind of entitled to our own preferences and entitled to our own rights over our brothers and sisters. And, and we also looked at how Christ laid down his rights and laid down himself and, and called us to follow him and to do the same, to lay ourselves down for each other in the church. Then last week, MD did a just a fantastic job walking us through this section that reminds us that Jesus is the Lord over all, including your conscience. And, and he reminded us that he is the judge, and at the same time, you are not. He reminded us that, that Jesus sits on the judgment seat, and in his words, it's not your seat. And it was a, just an incredible reminder for us. And this week, we start into the last section. We're going to bring this back. And so the one other thing I want to do that MD did, and so since he did it, I'm going to copy him. I loved it. I want to invite you. I'm going to read this whole section that we're looking at, and I want to invite you. Would you stand with me as we read this section of Scripture together? We're going to start in verse, um, in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but, decide, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as, as good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble. 
by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Lord, would you bless this time? Would you bless the preaching of your word and give us eyes and ears to see and hear? Draw us to yourself in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, I want to bring us back to where we started from at the very beginning of our time. And uh, I don't know if you remember the triangles. Uh, as I show this, this is not original to me. This comes from this book called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. Uh, by Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crawley. Phenomenal book. Um, but he has this helpful uh, illustration that we started with. And um, if you could go to the sermon slides, that would be great. And then I can take you from there. Um, but he has this illustration for us that, um, of a triangle. And that triangle being the, uh, the will of God. Boom. All right. So is we, if we look at this, he starts with this triangle. This triangle represents the will of God, the revealed will of God in Scripture. And what we saw in this is we see all these letters here. And if you remember, these letters represent the things that God has explicitly told us, commanded us, or prohibited us. So, um, you know, it, it's what God has told us is good and right. The Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Don't, don't slander. It's things like that, all right? So we have this, and then what we, what we talked about is we added Annie and her conscience into the mix. And what we see here is Annie's triangle kind of comes into picture here, and this is the things that Annie's conscience is pricked over, things that, 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 that she's telling herself, this is right, this is not right, these kind of things. And you have these letters here, this, this CD, ACD. E and F, these are the things in Annie's conscience that is a part of the will of God and the revealed will of God in Scripture. So, so these, these are the things that represent the way that Annie is kind of being sanctified and conformed to the image of, of Christ. We have these, these letters. Uh, but we also have P and G. What are P and G? P and G uh, represent the things that God's word has said and yet that do not prick Annie's conscience. Um, we, we talked about maybe uh, G being slander. Maybe Annie, follower of Jesus, can slander all day long, and it just not prick her conscience the way it should. God's word says it's wrong. Annie, Annie's conscience doesn't tell her. And the, these, are the way, the, these are the areas that, that Annie needs to still be more conformed to the image of Christ and, and to the word of God. Um, now, then we have this one. We have one more, B, down here. These are the things that Annie's conscience is pricked over that are not explicitly stated in the word of God. Um, we picked on, uh, in this, this first week, we picked on uh, Christian music only brothers and sisters who only listen to Christian music, and their conscience is pricked over that. But it's not just that. Maybe it's what you watch on TV, what you read, how you parent your kids, how you school your kids. It's all of these things down here that God doesn't have a thus saith the Lord 
but our conscience is, is pricked. It could be a whole host of things. The point is, Annie's heart is telling her it's wrong and um, that she should stay away from that, even though God's word is, it explicitly is not telling her that. Okay? Now, let me just uh, make one statement here before we move on. This B down here, we all have them. Lots of them. All of us. We all have these things. And, and we like to think that our things are God's things and should be all people things. We all do this. We all, we all bring our issues of conscience to the table. But seeing it like this just makes it really pretty and really easy. So looking at this, this is easy. We get this. But we, what we talked about is um, it doesn't just stop there because in this book, he... he he introduces us to someone else, and this is where Romans 14 comes into play. Our friend Bill. Bill comes to the table, and wow, does Bill have his things. We have the same thing here, C, D, E, F, G. These are things that Bill and God share in common, all right? Then we have A over here, same as Anne, something that, that it's his, and, and P over here, things that Bill has not yet been conformed to the image of Christ yet, same thing. But then, oh my goodness, do we have these. And this is where things get messy. This is where things get messy. And, 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 and all of us, again, have these things. But the question that we ask is, how do we live in community with all of this? With all of this? And, and I want to be clear here, and I'm going to say this multiple times intentionally this morning. God's word is our foundation, we are all under God's word. He is the king and Lord. He trumps our conscience. And so when we talk about these things um, down here, we are not talking about fundamental doctrinal things. We're not talking about things that God's word has explicitly stated. We're talking down here about issues of conscience and how these things connect. And um, we're talking about the diversity that we have in the church. And speaking of that, I'm going to add to this chart this is the local church. We're a group of triangles bouncing into each other, sometimes offending each other as we do. We have letters everywhere. And we're coming together as this diverse people under the word of God with all of our issues of conscience. That's where this text in Romans 14 meets us today. And we're going to look at this text because it's going to help us through this and and. You know, as we, as we look at this, we, we ask the question, well, how do we do this? How do we function together? And I want to say two things just as a clarification before we step into this text. The first is this. Loving is greater than leaving. Loving is greater than leaving. So, so to look at our triangles again, this, as messy as this is, is our goal. This is what we're shooting for. A big old mess of triangles coming together. But you know what our tendency is going to be? This. Our tendency is going to be to find a group of brothers and sisters that don't make us as mad. <laughs> find a group of brothers and sisters that, that act like us, smell like us, dress like us, talk like us, value what we value. Their issues of conscience are more in a line. So we, we form these holy little unholy little huddles, and, and, and so we surround ourselves by our preferences. 
and by people who can um, quote them back to us. And so we form churches, churches on every corner. Um, and when it gets tough, we can find another one. When some of you make others of you mad, you can find another group of triangles that are less offensive. And we spread out. When we don't see eye to eye, we have, when, when, when we have conflict with Bill, we go to a church with fewer bills. Right? Here's the thing. That is not possible in the ancient Roman church. So what we're about to read here in the early church, you would expect that this church would have split. That we would have one church over here that's primarily Jewish, that we would have another church over here that's primarily Gentile. Paul does not speak to that. What Paul does is say no, brings us all together. Paul is stepping into the messiness in these two camps and issues of conscience. Uh, conscience. And he's not calling them to leave. He's calling them to stay and he's calling them to love each other better. So we live in community in all of our diversity. Loving is greater than leaving. And here's the thing. Our text this morning is going to sound really good on the surface. What I'm about to say, hopefully all of us, amen, right? Um, hopefully. Uh, but it's going to be a bit foreign to us to actually practice this. If in a world where it is the norm to leave rather than to love and stay, this is going to feel foreign, but Romans 14 is going to show us how we can stay. This is huge. How we can stay and stay well and love well. That's the first thing. Second thing here, and this is big, um, what we are called to here is, is listen, this, as crazy as what this is going to sound like, is unity. Okay? This is unity. And it's way better than uniformity. Way better than all of us finding a place where everyone is like us, thinks like us, dresses like us, eats like us, talks like us. In Romans 14, we see what unity looks like in the midst of diversity. That we can be, this is so important for our text, but loving is better than leaving. It's greater than leaving. And unity is so much better than our search for uniformity. And from here, we get to step into this text. And how we can live and belong to a diverse community united in Jesus. How all of our triangles can go boom and come together in order to bring glory to Jesus. Amen. We're diverse, we're united, and Paul is going to tell us how to live in that community. So here's the thing. We are going to break this text up into two parts. Part one is going to be what not to do in this community. And part two is going to be what we need to be doing in this community. As we step into the scripture, we're going to today dwell on part one, what not to do in this community. And as we, as we look through this text, these commands are going to kind of come at us pretty easily, and I'm just going to walk through them one by one, all right? So here's what we're going to do. What not to do, we read in verse 13, right at the beginning, 
Verse 13 says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. What not to do? We do not pass judgment on one another. Number one, we do not pass judgment on one another. This should be a pretty familiar point to you by now as we've walked through Romans 14 and probably have said this every week. MD covered this last week, and and again, that reminder that Jesus is the perfect and holy judge, Jesus sits on the throne, Jesus is on the judgment seat, and each one of us will give an account. And MD said, he sits on the judgment seat, it's not our seat, so do not pass judgment on one another. And I want to remind you here again, second time I've reminded of this, we are talking about issues of conscience, okay? We are, we are not talking about what God has explicitly stated in his word here. We're talking about issues of conscience. I'm going to give you, um, here's the thing. I don't want you to hear me and think that, Pastor, you're telling me to stay quiet on issues of scripture. No. Worse, I don't want you to hear me and think that Paul and the word of God is telling you to remain quiet on what God's word is telling you. And let me give you a, just an absolutely ridiculous, extreme example, okay? I, I picked this because it is absurd, all right? So, but just follow me. We have a brother Jimmy. I don't think there's a Jimmy in here. Maybe there is. I'm not talking about you. Is sitting in our church, and we all know him to be a murderer, I told you this was extreme. Just follow me. All right, we know this. We know that his lifestyle is murderous. Okay? Brother Jimmy, lifestyle, murderous. It is your God-given responsibility as the people of God to call out that sin. This is a terrible and obvious example. But we are to call out that sin and call the cops, but that is a different thing. We are to call out that sin And in this, you see what I'm getting at. God hates murder. He's hated it from the beginning. He hated it in Cain and Abel. He hated it when he gave us the sixth commandment. We know that and believe in the sanctity of all human life. We know that God hates murder because we are created in his image. It's evil. As the people of God, we know this. And our collective statement against murder as evil and calling out Jimmy is not the judgment that this text is talking about. It's not the judgment that this text is talking about. We're not talking about issues of sin, issues that have been revealed revealed in God's word. We're we're talking about issues of conscience. In fact, if we go to our uh, our triangle again, and we we look at this, um, we look at Annie and Bill colliding together. For Bill... To come to Annie in love and say, sister, you're missing G. That is not judgment. Again, I brought up slander. For Bill to come to Annie and say, listen, I heard the way you were talking about so-and-so. I heard the way you were destroying them with your, your words. And in love, he approaches it. That is not passing judgment on one another the way we see in this text. However, let's pretend that Bill rushes into Annie and says, you know that B right here, that right there? How dare you? 
like for 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 Bill to approach Annie's Christian music only belief. This is a foolish example, but you get me. And say, you know what, you know what, Annie. This is ridiculous. How can you believe that? And for for Bill and different Jimmy to get together and and to listen to their classic country music playlist and talk about how weird Anne is for her belief, that is passing judgment on one another the way Paul is bringing it up. It is issues of conscience, not issues of doctrine. This is really important. Again, I'm going to say this probably over and over. So as this diverse community of faith, we are united in Jesus, standing under the authority of his word. We hold to the truth of what he said. We hold to this, we cling to this, and we don't pass judgment on each other over issues of conscience. And um, let me just call this out before I move to the next. This should take a lot of pressure off our shoulders. Like a lot. The fact that I am not the judge is awesome. Just so much, when I know that Jesus is the judge and he's given me his word, I can just love God and love my neighbor and trust that he's going to be good and perfect and righteous in his judgment. Weight lifted, awesome news. But um, I I want to move on here. So the second do not that I want to bring out, this one's going to be fun. Do not bring destruction through your preferences. Do not bring destruction through your preferences. Do you notice the language in this text? We have... Uh, verse 15, the, the, the second part. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. We see it again, verse 20. The first part of verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. This is heavy language. Heavy language. But the truth is, is that you have the power and the ability to bring life and unity through your words and actions in a church. And at the same time, you have the ability to bring destruction and division through your words and your actions in the church. And Paul is saying here, by what you eat for the sake of food, you can create destruction. Is it worth it? The answer has to be no. Is it worth it? No, it's not worth it. I want to give um, an example. And this one is going to hit a little closer to home because we're fast forwarding about 2,000 years to a very modern example. Um, In 2020... COVID-19 pandemic hits the scene, and in those early stages, we had no idea what we were dealing with. (laughs) No clue. I I remember it was a Friday. I was with my family at a park by our house when I got, I think it was an email. I just remember where I was. Uh, And and at this point, we were meeting at Bush Middle School, and the the email was from N-E-I-S-D. And I knew, I knew, I just didn't, I I knew it was coming. They informed me we were no longer able to meet, period, no longer able to meet. And uh, it's the kind of email you never want to receive as a pastor. But um, over the days and weeks that it passed, each one of us, I got to tell you, handled the pandemic differently. Each one responded differently. Um, And as a pastor, I got a front row seat to all of those differences. For some, the reaction was, this is not a big deal. Um, why are we closing? Quarantining is crazy. What's with these masks? 
why social distance? This is not a healthy way to live. We need to get back to normal life. I had conversations like that all over. For others, this was a huge deal. Huge deal. We need to be careful. We need to love each other by laying down our preferences. We need to love each other by wearing a mask, by staying home. We need to take these these things seriously because we want to love one another well. I had a lot of those conversations. So fast forward, we find a location. And... uh, we start to step back in, and, and as elders, every single one of those decisions were so prayer-covered. Um, again, none of us knew what we were doing. We were just asking for grace as we did it and in and, and his wisdom. But we decided to think of ourselves, and this is where I'm going with this, as a traffic light. And if you were with us at this time, you, rem- you might remember this. It was a long time ago. Uh, we thought of ourselves as a traffic light. And... Um, what we meant is that in our church, there were those who were green. All systems go. Like, go hug them. They're ready to go. No need to mask, no need to distance. Hugs, come together, let's worship, let's do this. Green. We also had those who were red, who were, who were still quarantined, who were masked, who were distanced. We also had those who were yellow, who were somewhere in the middle. Caution. Caution. Proceed with caution, people in the middle. Church, we had them all. And as elders, we felt God calling us, and and we felt so strongly led that we needed to be the full traffic light. As a church, we needed to be the full traffic light. So what I mean is, as a church, we're not the green church. We're not the red church. We're not the yellow church. We wanted to bring the whole traffic light together in this season. And if we can imagine just thinking about Annie and Bill, um, let's pretend that Annie is a bright green light. And, and Annie, who has every right to be green, digs her feet and her heels in the ground and says, You know what? You know what? I refuse to be in community with people. I refuse to be in community with people wearing masks, with people who want a social distance. I'm done. So I'm either going to leave and go find another church filled with more green people, with more green lights, or worse almost, I'm going to rub my greenness all over everyone. I'm going to try to convince these people every second I get to be more green like me. And I'm going to, I'm going to stand close to them. I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm going to convince them because I am a green light. Church, that, in the pandemic, that response happened all over the global church. I know so many pastors who have horror stories of walking through this season of life and ministry. And, and, and hear me, I'm picking on the green lights. Don't you dare think that this is just those green lights. Every one of those lights, every we saw this in every one of our lights, we're just as guilty. And what Paul is saying here is, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. We could add, church, we could add to this. Do not for the sake of a mask destroy the work of God. Do not for the sake of a mask 
destroy the work of God. See, our specific issues are different than they were in the ancient Roman church. But the heart at the, 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 the center of those issues, it's the same thing. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And in a church, in a community, I'll go back to what I said. You have the ability to bring life and love through your words and your actions. And at the same time, you have the power to bring destruction and division by what you say and what you do on issues of conscience. And what Paul is saying here is buy what you eat for the sake of food, or we can add what you wear, what you listen to, what you watch, the mask you wear, you don't wear. It can create destruction. And I will ask again, is it worth it? As we read Romans 14 and we read about what they were fighting about, we say, no, it's not worth it. Come on. But if we fast forward and just substitute our current issues, it becomes more difficult. The answer is the same. Is it worth it? No, it is not. Time and time again, in a diverse community, let not these issues of preference destroy and divide. And I just want you to think how countercultural this will be. In a world that polarizes and has your camps and tribes, um, we're called to be this full traffic light. How countercultural is that? How beautiful is that? How much does that point to Jesus? Amen. As messy as it is, what a witness for the gospel that is. We do not pass judgment on, a num- on each other, number one. We do not bring destruction through your preferences, number two. And then three, do not allow what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. Um, this one might be the most neglected verse in all of chapter 14. And when I say that, I mean, I've studied this text and I've looked at commentaries, just a ton of them. And let me tell you, they'll write novels, I mean, pages on verse 14 and in verse 15 and verse 17 and a sentence, maybe. Some of them don't even acknowledge this verse at all in commentary. I'm like, what is going on? As we look at this, though, I have, as I've sat with this, I have been drawn to this short verse more and more and more because I think it points to something so important in the area of Christian conscience. And so as we think about our triangles again, what Paul is saying here is, hey, let's not speak of the issues of conscience in the congregation, that's these things right here, as being evil, regarding them as evil. In other words, in the Roman church, let not those meat eaters, I, let's not identify them as evil. Let those vegetarians, let's not identify them as evil. As our triangles collide, if we think back to our, our traffic light, let, let, um, let not your greenness be regarded as evil. Let not your redness be regarded as evil. Here's the thing I realized. Evil is a moral word. Evil is a moral word. It's a sin word. It's like murder and slander. Those are evil because God has said that they are evil. He has given us a moral judgment on these things. These issues of conscience, though, church, by definition, are not those things. Do not let your issues of conscience that you call good be called evil, be regarded as evil. Evil, by definition, they're not in this arena. 
And what I realized about this simple verse, don't the, what you regard to be good be spoken of as evil, I realized that Paul is warning us and calling out a tendency that we have to let issues of conscience go way too deep. You know what I mean by this? To let it sink way too far. So Paul is going to say, and we're going to look at this next week, that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than what we eat and what we drink. So what I'm asking of us, church, from this text is call what is evil, evil. Call what is evil, evil, but issues of conscience must be kept in their rightful place. They are important. They are good. We all have those issues of conscience. All of us do. But when these issues of conscience become too big, too inflated, when they sink down too deep and rise to the level of evil, we are making kingdom things out of conscience things. Paul says, do not do that. Do not do that. We, we, we look to Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, his word, and that first things can stay first. I want to, again, go back to our traffic light example here. The tragedy in that season is that many people left their churches. Many of people left their churches during the pandemic. And now I do not know each and every one of those situations. And I am 100% sure that many, without a doubt, left for some good reasons. I know that. I, I know that. But do you know what the pandemic also revealed? And this is heartbreaking as a pastor. That there are far too many of us who cared about the color of our light more than the gospel that we were preaching. There's far too many of us who cared far more about the cloth covering their face than they did about loving and caring for their hurting brothers and sisters. This revealed that far too many of us cared far too much about issues of conscience at the expense of their church family. And I don't just speak for Stone Oak. I, 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 listen, as I said, I've talked to so many pastors who have walked through this. And, and what this pandemic revealed is that there were a number of people who called conscience things, kingdom things. And divided. Who, who left rather than loved. Who sought for uniformity rather than unity. Who drew the lines in the sand. What I realized is that the pandemic gave us an opportunity to love each other well as the watching world looked on. But did we pass judgment on one another? But did we bring destruction through our own preferences? But did we allow what our conscience issues to be elevated and spoken of as evil? As our triangles crash together, have we honored Christ by our love for him and each other? Listen, I want to, I hate ending in a part one. I get it. I feel this way every time, but it's for the best because we'd be here all day. Um, but I do want to end our time with this reminder that we are called to walk in Christ to take up our cross like Christ, to love like Christ loved. And Christ laid himself down 
He came to this earth to be born, to live his life, to give his life, that the world may know him, that the world may know the Father, that we may be forgiven. In other words, when you feel the temptation to judge your neighbor over different issues of conscience, to leave them, to walk away from them, to, to judge them or even despise them, these temptations are just that. They are temptations to sin. And in this moment, we need to realize this is, we're the church. This is not the way Christ has given us a better way, a different way. So I want you to look around in this room that we've never been in. As we look around, what you see in this room right now is a diverse people. And I guarantee that there is no triangle that lines up with yours. To the glory of God. We are a diverse people called to love. United, not uniform. And if we've despised each other, we need to repent. We need to confess and repent. It's not, it's not the way. There's a better way forward. There's a better way forward. And this morning, I'm going to pause here, and we're going to pick up here. Remember, this is part one, what not to do. Next week, we're going to pick this up, and we're going to look at all the things that this verse commands us to do as a diverse community united together in Christ.